Hi, everybody. My name is Erica. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I am very grateful to be speaking on this meeting tonight. Um, this meeting has been part of my recovery for quite a few years, and I believe somebody's unmuted, so if you could mute yourself. Um, but um, I'm grateful to be speaking. I'm grateful for my recovery. I currently have 17 years of abstinence out of a very challenging and painful relapse, and I'm maintaining a little over 100 pounds of weight loss, and that does not come from me. So um, let's see what it was like. I, I have kind of a long story, so I'll try to encapsulate it for you. But I, I first came into OA in 1991. I was 19 years old. My mom, who had been my binge buddy my whole life, um, went to OA ahead of me and was my Eskimo. And God bless her, she never asked me to go to OA, as I recall. She never shamed me into losing weight. She just led by example and basically stopped binging with me. And I realized, um, I can't remember if I was at my top weight or a little under um, at that time, but I just somehow realized that I had to, I reached a, a physical bottom and I realized, wow, I'm, I'm 240, 250 pounds and I hate the way I look and I hate the way I feel. And I used to lie in bed at night wishing that I could like cut the fat from my body somehow and, and desperately ask whoever to help me to be thin. And that didn't really work, but coming into OA, um, it gave me hope for the first time in my life that I didn't have to be overweight the rest of my life. It uh, showed me the importance of the 12 steps. It gave me um, an appreciation for program itself and for the rooms and for the meetings. I had a sponsor. I worked the steps. I followed direction to the best of my ability. I also uh, came in as an agnostic. And in the six years that I was in the first time, I had a spiritual awakening uh, somewhere around year two. I was in a meeting and had just this amazing knowing just wash over me after somebody shared about their higher power. And I was moved to not hysterical crying, but very deep and profound crying because for somebody that had been an only child and was um, left alone a lot and my father and mother divorced when I was a year old, there was a lot of aloneness, a lot of feeling of, I would never um, be taken care of. I would never be okay. And after that particular meeting that night, I at least came away with the belief that there was a there was a God, and that um, that somehow it, this God was watching over me. But it didn't last. After the six years, I was started eating around five or six years, and I I took candles and and was thinking, wow, am I abstinent or not? And I, I had a falling out with my sponsor and started looking for another sponsor. I had a falling out with my two friends I had in OA. I didn't think about going to other meetings. I had a Tuesday and Thursday meeting, and that's all my world was. And so I became very bitter, and I was eating, and I was uncomfortable, and I thought, you know what, I don't want to be in OA anymore. And I was kind of flipped the middle finger to OA in a in a sense and and I left for eight years and thankfully that that time in OA had planted the seed that I could not fix this thing that no matter what I dabbled in whether it be a diet or a relationship or my other addiction sex and love addiction um 
I was never going to fix this thing, even though I tried on some level and I would kind of fool myself like whistling in the dark that I was okay and that, and that I could somehow at least lose weight for a temporary amount of time. But I was never one of those people. The most I ever lost was, I think it was 60 pounds using Fen Fen and, and it that didn't even last. So I just have never been successful at dieting. Um, and that's, just part of my story. Some people were good at it and couldn't stay stopped, but I just could never get all the weight off. And so for those eight, year, eight years, I, as I said, experimented in different ways to manage and control my weight. And I would explode, have weight explosions and go up 30 pounds in a month, you know, as a hundred pounder, um, I could pack it on. And I know a lot of you understand that. And so I came back in in 2002 and Oh boy, I knew I needed to work the steps. I needed, I knew I needed a sponsor. Um, I got involved in APOR, which is Applied Principles of Alcoholic Recovery. So there was a lot of writing and intensive work on the steps and on the readings of the founding of AA, which is um, one of the main books that we read from was AA Comes of Age, which I highly recommend. And it was really important for me to get that foundation and to understand that the big book, you know, I personally work out of the OA and the AA literature, but I have a, a deep and profound respect for the AA literature. I think it really hits home, um, especially for me when I can substitute the, well, at least when I was newer in program, I really needed to substitute alcoholics, you know, compulsive reader for alcoholic. And I know some meetings do not do that, but um, I think a newcomer needs to hear that and needs to be able to identify. And so, um, those three years, I almost got to a healthy body weight, and um, I worked the steps, and I followed direction, and my ego got really big, and I had people, you know, I was sought after as far as speaking, and, you know, how did you lose the weight, and what are you doing, and then I started to take my will back, because according to my mind and my disease, my weight wasn't good enough, my body didn't look good enough, I still had a, a, a big stomach, I still had this, that, and the other, um, where was the boyfriend? Where was the career? Where were the friends? And that was the beginning of the end for me as far as my relapse went. And uh, my relapse um, started off slow and gradual, and then it became a runaway train. And I tried to stop it by holding on to my ego, holding on to how I looked to my fellows. I tried to keep it by putting um, a whole bunch of foods on my abstinence and like making this list that I laminated and kept in my wallet. And as my relapse progressed and I, I realized, hey, I'm in the parking lot of Whole Foods, getting ready to binge, crying to my fellows, saying I can't stop and still calling myself abstinent. And I realized I wasn't abstinent anymore and that, you know, being technically abstinent and, and binging within my my set time meal time was not for me what worked it was still soul soul crushing to me it was still it was just so excruciatingly painful and then it just exploded and i i just ate and ate and ate everything that i could get my hands on everything that i felt i had been denied for three years i was like a little kid that just was loose in the candy store and i ate foods that made me physically sick and foods that made me want to not necessarily die, but I really didn't function well. I, I couldn't hold on. I couldn't stay at my job. I had to take a leave of absence. I, uh, 
I worked in a bank. I cried and binged from one end of the bank to the other. It was really not an attractive thing. Um, and I, I remember I had one outfit left that fit me. And I knew that if I binged that night, I wouldn't be able to wear that outfit to work the next morning or the next day. And I ended up sitting there on my bed, eating all my food and, and looking at that outfit. And I don't know if I was crying at that time. I did, I did do a lot of crying during my relapse. Um, but it didn't stop me. It didn't stop me that I couldn't work the next day. I, I do believe I either found something to wear that day or the following day. Um, but I was just not a functioning, healthy employee by any means. And so um, it took a lot to get me out of relapse. It took a lot of prayer and beseeching of God to please help me stop eating. And I had moments of clarity where I desperately wanted my abstinence back, where I desperately wanted that clarity and that feeling of freedom that when I went to bed at night, I was abstinent. And when I woke up in the morning, I was free of the obsession and I felt like I had hope for my life and hope for just life itself. I I really wanted that back. And then I had days where I was like, oh, screw this. I'm going to eat everything I can. And so I got to the point where I, I had a couple of fellows in program that were in relapse as well. And we really wanted it. We really wanted our recovery back, you know, on a particular day. And I remember discussing with one of them that you know, she was treating it like it was um, that she was an outpatient at an eating disorder unit. She didn't have the money to go into one of those programs, but she was going to treat OA as such and go to as many meetings as she could and do whatever she could program-wise to try to turn the ship around, so to speak. And so I started going to five to seven meetings a week, and I kept quiet for a long time. Um and it's funny, people, a couple of people came up to me and said, you know, I noticed that you're gaining weight. And, and I was like, no, duh. I, I know I'm gaining weight. I'm absolutely in hell. Um, I'm, I got up back up to 222 pounds. I bought two pieces of clothing from Target and was already rubbing the, the legs out, but, you know, in the pants. And um, it was not a good situation. And what I started to do because I was getting so desperate was um, – you know, I started to talk. I started to share that I was eating, I couldn't stop, that I was eating before meetings and on my way home from meetings, and that um, I just let it all hang out. And I realized that I needed to be 100% honest with somebody about my food every day, whether I ate 700 calories, which never happened, or whether I ate 7,000 calories, which happened many, many times, probably more than that. Um, and that was really, really helpful for for the disease to not be, to not have such a grasp on me. And I began to pour as much program as I could onto the situation. And I kept praying and I kept asking people to sponsor me because my sponsor had relapsed and I needed a new sponsor. And I finally asked this one woman that I deeply respected. I asked her three times to be my sponsor and God had other plans. She she said on the third time, Erica, I'm full, but I have a friend who just started to sponsor and she works a really, really good program. Perhaps you can give her a call. And I think the miracle for me was that I I said, yes, I will call her because I didn't vet this person beforehand. I didn't know her story. 
I didn't put her through the rigors of, is she good enough to be my sponsor? I said, I am desperate. And I called her. And somewhere around that time, I stood up at a meeting, a 100-pounder meeting in um, Reseda, where the um, San Fernando Valley Intergroup is in California. And I cried my eyes out at this podium saying that I, I wanted to go home and eat. And I wanted to have abstinence be the most important thing in my life without exception again. And that was, that was a big turning point for me because, boy, I just was, I really desperately wanted this thing. And I knew it couldn't come from me. I knew it had to come from a power greater than myself. And it talks in the book, you know, explicitly that lack of power is my dilemma, that I cannot force myself to stop eating. The more I would say I can't do this or I can do this or, you know, today I was good with my food or today I was bad with my food, it, that was me inserting my will in the situation. And it had to get to a space of what is my sponsor asking me to do? What is God asking me to do? Can I bring those two together and take myself out of the equation? And the more I focused on working the steps and I started again at actually step zero, which is the doctor's opinion, and worked my way forward, can I humble myself enough to let go and allow God to take over? And one of my aha moments coming out of my relapse was that, you know, I cannot afford to take this for granted. I can't afford to think I'm in control I can't afford to think that I have step, I had step one down. When I first came into the program, I thought that, and I was told that by coming into the rooms of OA, that's step one, that you're admitting you're a compulsive overeater. But I needed to go deeper than that. I needed to find out that down to the core of the, the marrow of my bones, that I am powerless over food and powerless over my weight. I cannot manage or control this thing. This disease wants to kill me. This disease speaks to me in my, my own voice. This disease wants me to live a life that is sheltered and miserable and angry and fearful. That's what my disease wants for me. It also wants me to be buried in a, a special size box because I'm so big and having lost limbs and my eyesight. I mean, that's what my disease wants for me. So the other thing that came out of it, my relapse was, that I needed to follow direction when it came to a food plan and that five minutes. Thank you. Um, that for me, I have three parts of my, my food. I have my abstinence, which I don't eat in between meals and snacks. No matter what I eat up to six times a day because I'm hypoglycemic. That is doctor directed. If I eat something in between my meals, um, lick a spoon or pick something off of the floor, up off of the floor, or have a this, that, or the other, I've broken my abstinence. It's very clear. I also have my alcoholic food list, the foods that trigger me, that make me want to eat more, that make my mind start running, that, you know, either make my other meals bigger or I want to have that particular food at every meal. Those foods, you know, with the help of my sponsor and a lot of prayer and sometimes, you know, claw marks, um, are for today are foods I do not eat. Um, and then there's my food plan. And I was taught that my food plan is imperfect. You know, my abstinence is perfect. My food plan is imperfect. But I was also, it was suggested to me by that sponsor coming out of relapse that I actually um, do a commercial weight loss um, program simply so I could understand what type of foods and servings 
would help. I don't know what happened, but hopefully I'm still being recorded. Um, so I was willing to follow a food plan for the first time in my OA life. And, um, and then later it became a calorie count. And it's been an interesting time with that. Um, I thought I was going into menopause, which I technically am, and I gained about 20 pounds eating the same calories and pretty much the same foods and found out, you know, with the help of a doctor and some outside help along with my OA fellows and God, that I was eating too much natural sugar and have proceeded to lose 14 of those pounds, but um, I'm skipping forward. So, so that's been very important to me. And, you know, I know I only have about four minutes left, but, you know, over the last 17 years, I've walked through um, having a form of congestive heart failure and being very, very ill. Uh, my mother is currently in the um, very severe stages of dementia and she was my person. She was my, I'm an only child raised by a single mother who parentified me. And to be living in Colorado and have my mom in California and having her be in this situation has taken um, a whole new level, taken me to a whole new level of turning to God and being angry at God and not trusting God and then moving forward with you know, okay, God, I, I believe that you have, you are walking with my mom and you're walking with me and that can I let this go to the best of my ability. And another huge tool for me is gratitude. I used to listen to gratitude meetings in my, one of my, I'm in three programs, one of my other programs and just roll my eyes. But I have found that the more that I do, I do a rampage of gratitude when I'm out for a walk and about 10, for about 10 minutes, I list all of the things I'm grateful for, and it makes such a huge difference because I have the kind of mind, naturally, that wants to find the flaw in every situation. And when I'm in gratitude, it seems to just tamper that part of me and helps me to look at what is good, what is working, what can I be grateful for. Um, and then the, one of the other pieces that's really important for me right now in, is to build, continue to build trust in my higher power. You know, for me, it's God. Um, the only thing I need to know about God or my higher power is that it's not me. But I do really work on trusting God more, letting go of my fear. I mean, 17 years later, and I still can fall prey to that. But I'm finding that the more I lean into you know, my faith, the more I look back on all the times that I've been taken care of, the more I pray and ask God to help me to have more faith, the more that it comes. And, you know, what an amazing program this is. I am, as I've heard others share over and over again, I am a totally different person because of this program. I am no different than anybody else on this line tonight. You know, the only reason I succeeded is because I just got to the point where I was willing to do whatever I was told to do. And these steps are amazing. Um, they clear out, they cleared out and continue to clear out the stuff that stands between me and my higher power. They continue to clear out the stuff that weighed me down emotionally and physically my whole life, my resentments, my hurts, my grievances, um, the way that I look at things. 
And it's beautiful that I continue to work the steps all the way through over and over again. And over the last four or five months, I started doing an OA, um, a study of the big book with an OA fellow. And I write on, I write on it starting from, you know, the doctor's opinion moving forward. <laughs> That's time. Thank you. And it's such a, such a gift and such a joy because, you know, as I said, the AA literature and the OA literature is, it's so tremendous. So I'm going to end it there. I will leave my phone number on the recording. You can call or text me anytime. I'm in Mountain Time in Colorado, 818-414-0192. Thank you for letting me be of service.